Hello, everybody, and welcome back to DDK Pod, the podcast where three guys who founded an IT company talk IT industry news and topics that interest us. My name's Julian Day. With me, as always, are my two co-hosts, Will Dalton and Jatinda Candola. How are you doing, guys? Good, thank you. Very good, thanks. How are you, Julian? I'm okay, thank you. Yeah, I'm getting into the Yuletide spirit. So Merry Christmas, everybody who's listening out there, and uh, Happy New Year in advance. This will probably come out in February. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> So if you're listening in your, your post Yuletide blues, uh, then then hopefully this will transport you back a little bit. But yes, all is is merry and, and bright and Hope twinkly. you had a nice Christmas. Yeah. And that you're sticking to your New Year's resolutions as well. Yes. And we're all out of lockdown again, which is great. And that there isn't a lockdown. Yeah, that would be great, wouldn't it? So yes, all is all is merry and bright and it's all very Christmassy and everything else. And speaking of merry and twinkly and bright, Will, did you want to go first with your oh. news story this week? <laughs> Wearing my beard baubles. Are you? <laughs> it's Christmas. We should really do this we as a video podcast at some point, shouldn't we? <laughs> do a Christmas version with video. Something that maybe is not so Christmassy. Reinvent happened, something that's been a lot in the technology press, also in the mainstream news last week. Reinvent is, uh, for those that are not in the know, is the annual pat on the back from Amazon, AWS. Outlining what, to their, themselves. Uh, to themselves, <laughs> outlining their general progress towards world domination, attended by thousands of groupies. It's held in Las Vegas every year. I think for our particular client, it was emptied as everyone went over there. Did they? A lot of people went over, yeah. A lot of people. Oh, good on them. This year's announcements on new stuff, a lot was updating and rationalizing, actually. Too long to fit in this podcast, let alone this little segue. Other than to say AWS probably have got an, a, a complexity problem the amount of services they have and releases they do. So a bit of a rationalization was actually a good thing. Summary, on-demand 5G network. Spin up your own 5G network. That sounded quite cool. Wow. Um, a, lot of things, a lot of things are going serverless. Yeah, yeah. That's their real strength though, isn't it? So I guess that's yeah. why they're focusing yeah. there. Lambda is yeah. such a big thing for them now. A lot of um, focus on AI, ML services, business services. And then they, they also touched on how to get your mainframe Mainframe is supposed maybe the last bastion of which AWS hasn't touched. How to get your mainframe workloads onto onto mm. AWS? Um, so yeah, that, that was reinvent. That five G network thing sounds interesting because you have to Doesn't bid it? for yeah. bid for reserved bandwidth. So there's often a big auction when a new like when four G was going to go live and then four and a half and then five and everything. There was big stories in the media about who'd managed to buy the rights for certain bits of the sort of frequency spectrum to be able yeah. to serve 5G. So yeah, how the hell yeah. does that work? <laughs> well, I don't know. I need to I need to have a little read into it. Yeah, bypassing all that gum. So, you know, you'd have the likes of Vodafone or 3G or, or whoever would own the license to the to the spectrum, to the, to the airwaves. Yeah. But it's sort of UK-wide. So I'm wondering how that would work when you say, you know, you want your own on-demand serverless 5G network <laughs> or whatever, how that, how that would actually work. It's an interesting one. I'll, it must, I'll, uh, must be in a reserved space. It yeah, it's interesting. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I just on the consolidation point as well, the biggest problem I find dealing with AWS architecture stuff in my day job is the, how often they change services or get rid of services or merge services mm -hmm. or fiddle about mm -hmm. with services. Mm -hmm. I just wish they'd stay still for five minutes. You know, you do an AWS certification and within like six months, it's completely unrecognizable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it's the principles, isn't it? I suppose it's a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You've got, yeah, yeah. you've got the advantages of continuous improvement and patch fixing, security fixing, which they do, which you used to have to do yourself and obviously you never did it it was years out of date and then you got attacked versus the fact that actually some of these services are quite you know embedded with other stuff 
So once mm. you start changing it, you know, the impact and the testing and all, you know, all the same things that you have to do when change happens, you've got to do. I think they sort of realize that, you know, from mm. a complexity point of view, and they're actually they're actually honing, you know, they're actually concentrating the services that they've got, making them better rather than releasing new stuff. But um, we'll see how it goes. Cool. Yeah. Jatinda, do you want to go next with your new story? Yep, can do. So my new story is about a chap called Vishal Garg, who is the CEO of Better.com. And what he is famous for at the moment is he put in a five-minute Zoom call with 900 of his staff to effectively fire them. So, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I don't need to laugh. That was inappropriate. And his exact words that have been cited on this news article in the register is that if you're on this call, you're part of the unlucky group being laid off. Your employment here is terminated effective immediately. And then what the company did is they actually disabled the IT accounts of all of those people straight away. Yikes. So no notice period or anything, just literally bang. Is that how you finish the call? By disabling their accounts? (laughs) No, before finishing the call, he then made himself the victim, saying that he's had to do this previously and previously he's cried and it's such a difficult thing for him to do. So it was all about him. He yeah. did take that opportunity to kind Narcissist. of... Yeah, pretty much. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, it's a horrific thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially this close to Christmas, because this happened last week. What I'm interested in is, what would the right way to do it be in the current circumstances? Because, I mean, there is an argument. I mean, I know, I know it's pretty rubbish what he did, but there is an argument that says, well, at least he had the, I don't know, the gumption to get on a call and do it himself rather than sending them a text or something. And yeah. you can't meet up with 900 people in person and you can't, arguably, it's dangerous to get people together because of COVID. Yeah. So this is awful, but, you know, is there a better way? What the hell is going on with your business? I don't know how many people totally are well, in the yeah, workforce I mean, where you've got to fire 900 people in one go. I mean, surely you've seen that coming, haven't you? The interesting thing is that that business is an online mortgage company that has just made $700 million in cash in a week by floating on the stock exchange, and they're worth about $6 billion. So right. it, it doesn't so feel as if yeah. it's particularly a difficult time for their business. I guess he's tried to justify it in lots of kind of social media stories afterwards, saying that all of these people were very poor. Uh, he's likened them to dolphins or something like that. Dumb dolphins is a word. <laughs> dumb <laughs> dolphins. I've never heard of that expression, actually. Yeah. I don't think dolphins are that dumb either, are they? No. Anyway. No. Probably not as dumb as Maybe he is. I've often, so I often find myself in the position of trying to claw back (laughs) some kind of balance. But yes, if he's going to call the people he sacked dumb dolphins, then I don't have much sympathy for him, I'm afraid. So I'm I'm retracting my my attempt to to help him out. That well-known expression, dumb dolphins. I guess you make a good point about uh, maybe there may not have been many other options. I think that the way the the kind of news article was written is that they weren't given any kind of indication that this was going to happen, whereas normally mm. companies would put out internal messages about instability or potentially expression of wish. So they try and promote people to leave in advance and all that kind of stuff. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know how it works. I mean, this is this in the US? 
Yeah. Yeah, okay. So maybe law is different over there, but I've been part of a redundancy process in the past. I wasn't made redundant, but I was I was under consideration for redundancy. And in the UK, at least, they have to notify you. And there's a whole process you have to yeah. go through legally. And and so you can't be in that situation where you're just suddenly fired like that or made redundant. Yeah. You you I guess if it's for performance reasons, sure. But even then you have to go through a, a sort of performance evaluation process yeah. before legally you can be terminated. So it seems very odd in in the US that you can just literally go, hi, you're fired. This article does suggest that it's created a HR mess for the company and there was Ah. no kind of planning around compensation packages or insurances and stuff ahead of him making this abrupt announcement. Okay, so maybe he's just gone off piste. Okay, so my news story then, just to uh, to wrap up the news quickly, is about video games, unsurprisingly, unofficial video game guy of the podcast that I am. So basically, Ubisoft, uh, or Ubisoft, depending on how you pronounce it, massive, massive games company, have announced a follow-up to a game called Stalker, Shadow of Chernobyl. Um, there are actually three games in that series. I love them. I think they're really, really good, but they've, they've got a new one called Heart of Chernobyl coming out. And what they decided they were going to do was put NFTs into it. So this relates back to our sandwiches and blockchain episode that we recently published and all of the blockchain stuff that we've covered on the pod previously. So they basically decided we're going to put NFTs in and what we're going to do is sell you the right to have your own digital likeness that you own put into the game. And within that game world your your likeness you, you buy the right basically to to own a piece of that game world and to actually put yourself into it and you have to get scanned and you know added in as as an npc as it's called a non-player character and this is part of the the nft metaverse which is this horrible word that seems to have popped up recently to describe this kind of ownership of stuff using nfts non-fungible tokens it's absolutely mad as an idea, you know, putting putting people's real identities that they digitally own into a game and stuff. But on top of that, they also they also decided that they weren't really going to listen to their players before they announced this. So they just basically slammed this announcement out, you know, with, with very little preamble or anything else, just saying, hey, isn't this amazing? A day later, they've had to drop the whole plan <laughs> because everybody's kicked off so much. Players have got so fed up with this kind of behavior, particularly in light of all the loot box scandal stuff that happened previously, that basically they've just said, no, we don't want this. We're not going to buy your game. And they were so worried by the impact it was going to have that they've decided to roll back. So, sorry, it isn't, I've misspoken, by the way, it wasn't Ubisoft. Ubisoft have been involved in a very similar case recently, but it's actually a company called GSC. So sorry, Ubisoft, I got that slightly wrong, but you were involved in another recent (laughs) case that's very similar. So I have little sympathy for that, but sorry. They were just on the phone. I was just on the phone. It's Ubisoft here. So, yeah, so Ubisoft are planning to do the same thing, which is why I ended up on this story, but this story is specifically the developer GSC. But yeah, isn't it interesting? how there's a big pushback against nfts now and this digital ownership thing and people are basically sick of people trying to make money off it already it's one of the fastest turnarounds i think on this sort of digital ownership of permanent digital ownership of stuff and and people being able to imagine putting your likeness in a video game what that would i mean it seems like just a really dumb idea (laughs) to me (laughs) i'm going to put my face and and like a complete digital recreation of myself in a random video game because that's obviously not a you know recipe for disaster but yeah, anyway, so that's what they were going to do. But they've had to roll the plan back because no one wants it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, slightly worrying, isn't it? Anywho, let's move on to this week's main topic. So uh, because it's Christmas, I wanted to go with something cheery. So I want to talk all about death <laughs> and the... Uh, <laughs> no, it's not just... Ice. 
So I, I, I'm being slightly glib. <laughs> so today's topic is about the technology of loss. So I got onto this for some very personal reasons, which I'm going to slightly touch on, and then we'll, we'll go into the main topic itself. So what, I mean, what do I mean by technology of loss? So more and more these days, where things are lost, whether they be people, whether they be limbs, voices, whether they be film stars, film stars are also people, I should say, I suppose. Whatever it is, you know, technology more and more these days is either enabling a positive effect around the loss of something, or in many ways, arguably, it's enabling some very negative effects. And it is fascinating to see how all of this is maturing, particularly over the last few years. There have been some very high profile examples of this kind of stuff. But what really drew me into this topic was um, I'm not gonna gonna name names here or go into any particular specifics because it's quite um, close to to my family. But a family friend unfortunately passed away quite recently, and this person was suffering from terminal cancer. Now this person's legacy is that they have effectively become something of a digital ghost because they did what a lot of very brave people have done recently, and they catalogued their journey through being diagnosed with with late stage bowel cancer. And in an attempt to prevent other people ending up in the same position, they basically put their whole journey up. And it was quite a, a, a touching thing. And it's it's quite a uh, an emotional thing. And um, I'm not going to share exactly who it is, because obviously, I, I know their family and stuff. And I don't want uh, any of that kind of association. But it is, it, it was eventually, you know, communicated to all of us that this person had passed away. And I found out about this person passing away via Instagram, because this person's significant other posted a final post on the dedicated account that the person had created to detail their cancer journey saying, just to let you all know, you know, my, uh, my partner has passed away and they've gone. So there will be no more posts. And that is still there. All of that stuff is still there, even though the person in question is no longer there, you know, so it, it has, it's really brought it home to me that these days there is a technology is enabling things that are lost, people that are lost, particularly in the case of people who've passed away, to persist. There's a sort of digital immortality that's being created. And a lot of it is actually not even intentional. So if I was to go under a bus tomorrow, for example, I would I would live on in some ways in the technology that I have touched in my digital identity within DDK, I suppose, in these podcasts. You know, my voice would still be recorded and, and, you know, until whenever they die, you know, whenever Spotify dies, presumably with the heat death of the universe, given how long that thing's likely to carry on or whatever, my legacy would still remain as, as a sort of digital ghost, if you will. So I just thought it'd be interesting to go through a few different examples of, of this kind of stuff, because it isn't just about death and, and people dying. It's also about the very positive effects that I've managed to find with a little bit of research where technology is being used to restore things that have been lost to people who are still with us in quite a positive way. So I thought that'd be quite interesting to go through. So what do you guys fancy starting with? Shall we start with some of the more comical aspects of this stuff and um, bits and pieces that have, have gone on and ethically debatable stuff? Or do you want to start with some of the positive things I found? What are you feeling? Comical. Yeah. I, think ending <laughs> I knew on you'd positive. go that way. Yeah, yeah. I wrote the script in that order because I knew that's how you'd answer that question. Right. So basically, we've all presumably heard about Kanye West re- recreating Kim Kardashian's dad. Did you did you guys see this? Give us a summary. <laughs> so Ken, it sounds Kanye, hilarious. Yeah. Kanye West, well-known, well-balanced individual that he is, he decided to create a hologram for Kim Kardashian. I think they are getting divorced or something now, but this is when they were married yeah. and very much in love. So he wrote a script and he got a holographic recreation of her dad created 
at a certain point in his life, who, who, who's passed away, you know, he, he wasn't just standing next to it going, what is this? He's passed away. And he wrote a script for it, which included a line, something along the lines of you've married a mega, 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 mega genius or something like that. So presumably it wasn't entirely in character for a dad, but he, he, he paid a lot of money for this and it is pretty convincing according to, to Kim herself, you know, and it's unclear how the voice was created, but it's a very, very good match for his voice when he was alive. So slightly ghoulish. So hang on, this hologram was saying you're, you've married a very, so this is, this is him. He's referencing himself yeah Kanye so he's, West, yeah. he's yeah, the, so he's the Kanye, genius right Kanye okay. West wrote a <laughs> wrote a script for her dad her deceased dad's hologram to say, what a to say. He is. and obviously yeah. most of it was I love you and I miss you and, and you're the best daughter yeah. ever and all these things yeah. that you know you'd, yeah. you'd love to hear but yeah. then he also added a line about him being a mega genius um, not so, being not tongue-in-cheek being no. serious no well of course not, not. It's, no. it's Kanye isn't it <laughs> <laughs> why would he <laughs> and and there are other examples of this being done for profit now. Mm. So uh, Tupac, for example, one of the earliest examples of this was Tupac played Coachella uh, in 2012. And he was long dead at the time that, it, that that happened. And also he shouted in Tupac's voice, what up Coachella, when he came on stage. And he'd never said that because the Coachella festival started three years after he died. So he would never have said that. So somehow the voice again was recreated. So it's not just a case of creating someone's image. It's a case of technology enabling these people to speak effectively from beyond the grave. And this has been done several times now. So they, they did a 2020 UK tour with Whitney Houston, even though Whitney Houston died again many years earlier. So it was a hologram of Whitney Houston that toured the UK. And they inserted sort of banter in between the different songs that she did, which was her talking about and joking about the fact that she died, <laughs> which is slightly... Uh, <coughs> Uncomfortable, shall we say? So, how does a hologram work? How does so that work? So that is actually done um, using. So, there's many ways you can do on stage holograms. It's particularly yeah. popular in in Japan, where you've got digital characters who don't really exist, who are sort of yeah. the mega mega pop stars and stuff. It's often done using a Victorian era illusion called, I think it's Pepper's Ghost, which is basically where you have a sort of mirror at a specific angle so you can't see it and then you reflect an image that's being projected up off the mirror and it looks like a hologram standing there there's also oh, another okay. technique you can use where you hang a very fine mesh over the yeah. front of the stage between okay. the audience and the and the players okay. and then by using a depth of field effect on the projection it looks like it's on the stage with the people but actually it's on this sort of invisible so it's a bit curtain. of an illusion it's a bit of an optical illusion yeah it's not really. like a proper yeah. star wars hologram which is no, like well, that's what i'm thinking yeah, yeah multiple beams of light and creating crowd i thought wow this well is cool. hopefully yeah one day and obviously the other way people are doing holography now is is with things like microsoft hololens which we talked about a couple of episodes ago so you actually have to wear a headset or lenses yeah. in front of your eyes but Which then would be it a really bit expensive does. in a in a, an arena but then it really does appear <laughs> like a star wars hologram where it's like you know mm. fully three-dimensional and right in front of you yeah. and speaking of star wars actually peter cushing remember him you probably do will yeah 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 of course yeah his films came out while you were in your 50s didn't they <laughs> yeah, did, yeah so he played so he was recreated for a film called rogue one in 2016 yeah um, he played yes. a character called grand moff tarkin who was in the 1977 star wars episode four a new hope first star wars movie and realistically you could not have had that story take place without that character being there because it just mm. would not have made any sense at all but he's been dead since the 70s i think or 80s so they recreated him and then perhaps a slightly more sort of mawkish example is Finding Jack, which is a film that was announced but hasn't come out yet, which will star James Dean in the lead role 
who has been dead since <laughs> 1955. And that caused quite a significant outcry with people like Chris Evans, Captain America himself from uh, Marvel movies and stuff. People just were horrified by this, but apparently they'd go in ahead and do it. What are it, they you know? horrified about? Well, the fact that he has no opportunity to consent the fact that he's been dead but such his a long family time. and his estate would consent I yeah but the point that his i think a lot of them know. were making was that the people who currently comprise his estate never met him mm, because a lot of point. them are very young and mm. that so they have absolutely no frame of reference for i'm not actually throwing anything at their family they may have met him i don't know but the point is mm. that if he died in 55 you know they're yeah, going to mm. be in their what 60s by now late mm -hmm. 60s, maybe even 70s. And the custodians of that may, may be young enough that they would have no idea what James Dean would think about this. But, yeah. you know, most people's consensus was that he would be horrified. It's sort of how inheritance works, though, isn't it, in a way? I know but, it's taking it to the next level, but once you inherit something, you know, you, you can do what you will with it. You could, you could inherit, you know, when my son inherits my massive estate in North Yorkshire, he could divide <laughs> it up. He could divide it up into several, you know, 10-mile sections of land and sell it off. <laughs> and I'd have no say in that. Yes. And but it's a, could, do you know what I'm trying to say? I mean, I'm, I'm obviously, I don't have a massive yeah. estate. Surely there is, a, there is a difference between doing that and then you, or, and using technology to recreate a digital facsimile of you yeah. and then have you dressed in a tutu doing the can-can or something. <laughs> in a way, but it's the same principle. It's just taking it When it's it an asset, when a person uh, has inherited an asset and they do what they want with it, I think it's different to doing something with that person's identity and character. The perception of James Dean to people that have never met him, that might see him for the first time in this new film next year, will kind of affect his legacy and his kind of his celebrity status if he's portrayed mm. in the wrong way or it doesn't work out or the film's a flop and all that kind of and stuff. This, and this hadn't really been a problem previously because technology hadn't got to the point where you could reproduce a James Dean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Technology answers a lot of moral questions, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But do you yeah. actually own that person's likeness? Really, I mean, does yeah, does Archie good... inherit your face and your? Well, I suppose it's what you, but what you define as identity. Identity Indeed. is a broad term. Now, identity, I think, is more than just you, what you look like, your name, your, you know, it, it encompasses what you've done, which maybe goes to your point anyway, J.K. What you're doing, yeah. where you live, your job, how you've helped. Do you know what I mean? And mm. some of these identity factors could be changed once you sort of pass the baton over to, you know, your son. They, he, he could change the identity moving forward of what defines you for the better and for worse. And yeah. I don't think it really, I don't think there's any difference. I know, it, I know it's strange, but I don't think there's any difference in terms of, it's still an asset. What, you know, yeah. you, how you look, the, the image you portrayed was an asset. It had IPR and the short, uh, intellectual property. Do you know what I mean? And that asset is handed to different people to manage. And I don't, I mm. can't really see the difference. I know it's odd because it's new technology, but really I think it's but just also, the next step forward. That gets into a really interesting thing as well, doesn't it? Of classic books, which are out of copyright. <laughs> mm. So in 300 years time, can anybody do whatever the hell they want with a digital Will Dalton? <laughs> oh, indeed. <laughs> Scary. Because, Not that they're going to want to, but yeah. I think because, well, he yeah, have done by, too much you know, damage himself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. well. There's nothing they can do that I've already done. <laughs> it's better to burn out than fade away. <laughs> But oh, my, yeah, my point is, you know, like Jane Austen or whatever, you know, anyone can print the books or read the books for free and whatever because they're out of copyright now. 
again, you know, similar kind of question. Anyway, we'll move on. But it, it's it's an mm-hmm. interesting point, right? So, so far, all these examples are very money-grabbing and ethically debatable, potentially. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff about consent and what would the what would the wishes of that deceased person who actually was, you know, who actually lived that likeness, what would they think and all sorts of stuff. But there are other aspects to this as well. So there's there's another aspect is the discovery of of loss. And I just alluded to that and a positive example of it with the family friend of ours who who lost their life and then their other their significant other announced that fact on Instagram. But there was another story that I uncovered of a lady called Becky Olson. Uh, I don't know where she lives, but a very tragic case actually where she found out about her own father's suicide on Facebook. So he was lost. And technology, the modern technology that we all live with that is around us today, enabled people, well-meaning people, to start sending her messages of condolence while her mother was driving across the country to come and tell her what had happened. So by the time her mother arrived, she'd had however many messages saying RIP. Again, you know, ethically, it's it's a it's a very very. Difficult... You know that happened to me. My one of my closest friends, closest closest dearest friends, mm. I found out he died on Facebook. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I was working away, and these posts started appearing on his profile, and it was the you know exactly that kind of stuff like R.I.P. Uh, we'll miss you. And I was, I was going, what's going on? Is this is his profile being hacked? That's what yeah. I thought. That's initially yeah. what I thought. Because I thought there's no way you can, it, do you know what I mean? It's such a personal, difficult experience yeah. that putting it through social media cheapens it. To, for me, cheapens it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's something yeah. that requires a visit. Hence, you know, in your example, Julian, you know, you, you, you go to the person, you, you know, you, you say it, you hug them and, you know, you're intimate about it. And, and Facebook cheapens a whole lot. Yeah. And I found, and, and it seems to be a thing. It yeah. seems to be a thing now that social media, like the, like the example you had right at the beginning, you know, we were talking about the guy that fired 900 or however many people through yeah. Zoom. Social media seems to be using, seems to be used as a tool for inappropriate things where you mm. think, actually, you know, this requires a bit more than social media. It cheapens the actual message. It often feels to me like it hasn't been thought through in terms of the design properly as well, because there's a very interesting uh, article that I found on medium.com about um, lost technology and grief, where they discuss various different aspects of this. And one thing that is interesting is it's not just the fact that people are effectively now digitally immortal in some way, you know, not the whole person and their whole consciousness, obviously, but, but you know, some, some aspect of their life now has this digital presence that doesn't go away. But it's also the fact that very, very often with something like Facebook, for example, I'm not singling them out, particularly any social media related thing or, or even your Google Calendar, for example. So I had this happen to me the other day. My Google Calendar, because I'd put a reminder in there and forgot to remove it, told me to send a, a birthday card to my grandfather who died last year. <laughs> mm. And so I had to go through and find that that thing and then press delete on it so that it wouldn't remind me every year to send him a birthday card, even though he's gone. And that was quite a sad moment. And that happens a lot. You know, birthday notifications, memory posts pop up saying, here's your summary of the year with photos Mm -hmm. and stuff and send it to all your friends automatically and stuff. You're asked if you'd like to invite a deceased friend to an event that you're creating automatically. All of these things can be quite traumatic, particularly if that person was lost in traumatic circumstances. So there's a duty of care and a kind of ethical side to all of these features, which I think is often missed potentially. You know, they're great when someone's alive, Mm. but if someone is then 
lost, if they pass away, they're just a constant beating reminder of sort of beating heart no type reminder. In technology, is there? No, there's, yeah, there's ex- a complete lack of empathy. Exactly and that's right. The yeah. missing, that's the missing bit. In fact, that's the that's the sort of why is AI you know generations away, and, yeah. and part of it is that is that there is you know that that human spirit, the human empathy, that that little element that makes the human being sensitivity, what, isn't it? Yeah, mm. that's what's missing from technology, and incredibly difficult to you know. Digitize, mm. I suppose, maybe is the word to use. Although you would argue that maybe just coding these features not to send the reminders anymore when someone has been marked as yes, deceased I suppose. in social yes. media would, would be sensible. You're not going to do that with a, you know, I've done it before as well. You know, you put something in your calendar as a reoccurring thing to go on forever. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it will be a, you know, it's, it's, you know, you can put in, you know, rule, you know, let me guess the death date. <laughs> It's almost like the process of when you do go and register the death at the local council, they then kind of update council records so you don't get posts around council tax with that person's name on it. Mm. Then you've got that kind of admin yourself, that life admin. You get letters of that person after they've deceased, so you have to go and contact all these other companies and whoever to, to kind of take them off the record. So I guess there's there's probably a bit more that they could be doing around the, mm. the digital identities to fold into yeah. these kind of forms. Well, places. and also you you don't necessarily have access to that digital identity. So if yeah. I if I popped off mm. tomorrow, I don't mm. know whether Emma would be able to stop my Facebook profile doing things automatically. Not that I have been on it for about I think 10 years. she's been years. trying to do that forever. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I, uh, I, I wouldn't bother trying to look me up on Facebook because there is no recent content on there. No. But anyway... So, so these are all very negative aspects, right, around this, this, and or, or some of them can be. And, Should and we finish on a positive? A lot of insensitivity. There are some real positives in this space as well, though, in terms of what technology is doing. So first one that I found, which I thought was really cool, is there is a project going on. And I'm really sorry because I, I literally cannot... I cannot even try to pronounce the names of the people involved in this. It's it's mm. going on in West Bohemia in um, Pelton. There's a couple of guys there. Yindrak, maybe, is the main guy. Anyway, what they're doing is they're creating a technology to restore lost voices for people yeah. who have had complete laryngectomies. So some people have to have this as a result of cancer treatment and whatever, but it means their vocal cords are physically removed. So they're you know, there's no nothing they can do. And typically they've been given a, an electro larynx, as it's called, sort of, you imagine, you know, the the, the, the Ur example, the example everybody knows about is Stephen Hawking with his, his very robotic sounding, very distinctive. It actually became a trademark for him in the end. So he kind of owed it, I guess. But that voice is so famous now that he, he had from that electro larynx. But what people are now working on is the technology to restore a living person's actual voice that they had before they lost it, which is very cool. So there's a research project going on in the Facility of Applied Sciences at the University of West Bohemia to create a data bank, effectively a, a huge database of people's voices. And anybody can do it. So if you're mm. somebody who still has their voice, you can go and put your stuff into this project and record a bunch of, of lines. And there's a certain tipping point. I think it's something like 5,000 lines or something that somebody who is actually going to lose their voice has to reach before they can really create a really convincing version of their voice. But they can work with as little as a few hundred lines. And they are enabling people with this automatic voice banking and reconstruction project to prevent the loss of their voice, which is awesome, right? I mean, that's just cool. That's a very mm-hmm. cool bit of technology cool. to do that. 
I think we're okay as well because we've recorded so many podcasts that they'll be able to take our voice, you know. Presumably our electrolytes is they would just be us slinging insults at each other or something. I don't know. I don't think I've hit that threshold because you two talk too much. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, JK. That wasn't a good Sorry, plan. JK. <laughs> You're presenting next, next time. <laughs> yeah, I've done two in a row. Everyone's sick of me. Yeah. So uh, the next one is is much more obvious and is is much more um, the subject of science fiction and so on. Uh, the restoration of limbs. So another technology of loss. This is fascinating, this whole thing. I could read about this forever. There's three different ways you can do bionic or prosthetic limbs. Interestingly, bionic, by the way, came from the $6 million man, an ancient Mm. TV series I've never heard of or seen. Have you not? Oh, God. I've heard of it. It's awesome. It was coined. I believe the term bionic was actually coined in that TV show. It wasn't a real word before that. I did not know that. Interesting. Yeah. So there you go. One thing that is really curious about this is that it's much easier to replace an arm than a leg because you don't have to balance on an arm. So they're much Mm -hmm. further behind with being able to do legs. But they Mm -hmm. are working. There's there's sort of three or four different ways you can actually make it interface, the limb interface with the body. There's everything from using muscular contractions in what's left of the limb, so the, the sort of stump to actually putting electrodes onto nerves. But what they're now trying to get to is the point where these prosthesis can actually relay some kind of tactile sensation. So you can actually feel what the, what the limb is feeling. Fa- absolutely fascinating. I read a, an article on a website called online.boneandjoint.org.uk by a, a very senior surgeon in this area who was oh, doing... Oh, yeah, I read that. <laughs> but it's, it is fascinating. It's worth a Google. And yeah, he's just talking about the current state of prosthesis. So yeah, I mean, it's a topic in and of itself, but it is interesting. And then a final one that I found that was really positive as well to do with with loss and technology was attendance at funerals over lockdown. So in order not to end up with with more people being added to the stats, um, there are very many examples now of people and people who are trapped in other countries. Uh, I found a story about a lady called Susie who was living abroad in Asia and was on bed rest because she was pregnant and she had a very high risk pregnancy. So she could not fly home for the funeral of her mother who died unexpectedly. So at the ceremony, a friend held an iPad up with her on it and she dressed in black from her hospital bed and held a candle and was able to take part in her mother's funeral remotely. So we've talked a lot about death in this episode and the very negative, potentially very negative or or, um, damaging or at least ethically ethically murky aspects of death and loss but that's a very positive one isn't it so she managed to to be there if not in body because obviously she's creating new life which is a very positive thing but she managed to be there at her mother's funeral via something as simple as skype and i guess the next question is where we go from here so it's it's fascinating how often this topic is the subject of sci-fi so you'll probably have stuff to say on this world because you read a lot of sci-fi and stuff i know but even in Something as recent as Amazon had a series called Upload, which was about uploading yourself into a digital heaven. It was a com- comedy series. Young guy dies and he he ends up uploading into this. The ultimate metaverse. Indeed, yeah. And then if you remember, there was the episode San, San Junipero of Black Mirror, which was about OAPs living out their sort of final days in a, in a hedonistic kind of pleasurable digital area where where their real bodies were decrepit and and it's like the matrix for old people basically but with lots of partying and sex rather than agents <laughs> running around trying to shoot you in the face great episode go give that a watch and also i guess most recently in in my sphere cyberpunk 2077 which i've mentioned a few times so keanu reeves in that game plays the ghost of a 50 year old 50 years dead terrorist 
who gets shoved into your head. So basically, it's a game set where people have lots of implants and cybernetics and stuff. And he effectively ends up on a thumb drive, which is wedged into your brain and you can't extract it. So you're kind of fighting for control of your own character's psyche with Keanu Reeves as this terrorist who died 50 years ago, but is, is live now living digitally on this chip. So there's a lot of sci-fi stuff around technology of loss as well, but be interesting to see how far it converges towards that, I suppose, as time goes on. I think that point about the metaverse is probably, these all feel like indicators to supporting all of that work to develop this metaverse. Yeah, well, I mean, Will was talking about someone owning his digital identity when he passes away. Will that be an NFT in the metaverse, I guess? Yeah. Will Will Archie get that, you know, and, and that will be your image. Forever his father, keeping an eye on him. <laughs> well, well, if, poor you, sod. <laughs> if you want to install some Orwellian Dalton bot <laughs> that follows him Dalton. around. A big eye. <laughs> Maybe it's yeah. something that people need to put into their wills in terms of things that you're handing over in the future as your digital identity as well. I don't know yeah. if it's going to grow into I would not be something. surprised. Yeah. Yeah. A big. Lost death is a big, you know, it instills big emotions. Yeah. And where there's big emotions, I think there's money to be made. And where there's money to be made, technology will certainly be there. I can see, you know, the where we talked about the identity before and what defines an identity. You know, it'll become more and more. There'll be more and more attributes will be able to be synthesized te- yeah. from a technological point of view, mm. and potentially owned your own identity, mm. and potentially owned, yeah, yeah, and, or uh, even sold. You know. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, I can. I could see a scenario in a few years' time where a film star or something passes away, or somebody passes away, and then the rights to bits of their catalog, or even bits of yeah. their persona like their voice for example could be yeah. sold as an nft i mean can you imagine something as horrible as that oh, almost digitally yeah. dissecting somebody and you know i'm going to buy george clooney's voice after he dies or the the sole rights to it you know oh yeah very possible yeah. it's one way of seeing a duet of michael jackson that's not that far justin off. bieber i think the technology already exists but anyway there we go so interesting topic but we will have to move on there i'm afraid so any any very quick closing thoughts from you two before we go on to the recos oh, really no okay (laughs) well we've done i think we've done it justice anyway so uh recommendations then um so jk did you want to go first with yours this week uh yeah so uh recently i managed to smash my phone screen on my iphone xs and i just thought that you have to go to your local high street to find one of these kind of phone shops that feel a little bit dodgy as you walk in you don't know if they're kind of... What, one of the kiosks on the London Underground. <laughs> you're not sure what they sell under the counter or if it's like a place where terrorists go to buy burner phones and stuff like that. <laughs> but um, so I thought I'd have to go there. And when I went to one of these places, they wanted me to give them a million pounds and to leave my phone with them for three days, which I felt uncomfortable about both of those things. So what I instead found is a service from Timpsons. So Timpsons, most of you will have heard oh, yeah, of them. The, yeah. the cobblers. Boots, yeah, yeah and yeah. you'll find them in your kind of local supermarkets and stuff as well now. They've got these pop-up shops. But they replace <laughs> phone screens within an hour, and if they haven't got the screen in stock, they'll order it and it'll arrive the next day. So whilst you shop, you can get your phone screen repaired. So I just want to recommend that they do that service because I came through, I came by that kind of option randomly, and that they do a good job of it as well. That was, a, was it was yeah. it very expensive or no? It was uh, cheaper than your local terrorist uh, <laughs> mobile phone shop. Uh, d- yeah. Do you know if they use Gorilla Glass or 
whatever because most displays do these days i think it's the really scratch resistant sort of mega mega i'm pretty glass. sure they do uh, it is definitely kind of a popular and market leading type of uh, material they use cool. i think um, when i did a bit of googling and stuff you're not really sure if you're going to get good material from some of these smaller independents but <clears throat> timson's definitely do that's a clever move by them actually isn't it's it it's good isn't it Tencent. Mm. That's quite a neat move. Yeah, good on them. I hope it. I hope it's. Well, it sounds like they are successful with it. Yeah, that's a really good recommendation, actually. Yeah, because I, I was thinking to myself the other day as I was replacing a screen protector on on Emma's phone, what would I do if this broke? Like this, not as that I'm gonna. I'm enough of an animal to break a phone screen while I'm putting a protector on it. But what I meant was if I if she dropped it or something, especially yeah. since we've got young kids who love to throw our phones around. What would I do? Because if you send it back to Apple, it would have cost two hundred and forty-five pound, whereas Timpsons did it for a hundred and forty-four. <laughs> wow, that's still a lot, though, isn't it? It is, but um, it. it's still cheap. If you shop around, that is one of the cheapest prices. Yeah. It's still cheaper than a new iPhone, isn't it? So. Yeah, that's true. Well, it is, but, you know, I don't know. It just seems <laughs> a lot of money to replace mm. one bit, which is yeah, a screen, when you true. think about the, the complexity that's inside and the cost of doing that. But I suppose the screen is complex in itself. It's not just a bit of glass. I think it's it? glued yeah. in, isn't it, and everything. Yeah. So they have to do all sorts of clever stuff to get it to actually do the repair. But you would think, I suppose, this happens all the time, doesn't it? You'd think yeah. the manufacturers would have found a better way uh, well, in terms of the screen, or maybe there's some kind of... Do you know, that's actually a really good idea for a podcast topic. We should cover right to repair at some point because it's a very hot oh, yeah, topic in technology long. at the mm-hmm. moment. And there's, there's the a couple of uh, startups who have recently formed um, that I'm aware of in order to try and sell technology which won't become e-waste in a few mm-hmm. years time because you can yep. right to repair it and pull it apart and everything anywho mm-hmm. we need to uh, to crack through the remaining recommendations so will did you want to go next this could be our longest podcast ever you know <laughs> no no not yet <laughs> no not yet all right i'll be quick this is going to hurt um by adam k it's a non-fiction book uh, in essence it's a diary about this guy adam k as a recently graduated junior doctor and his, and his experiences as he progresses through the ranks of doctoring in NHS hospitals. And he's chosen specialism, which is something you need to do, apparently, a couple of years into your junior doctorship. And I use his own words, is that I like operating on strangers' vaginas <laughs> or, or <laughs> obstetrician or an obstetrician. Or was this what attracted you to the book? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this was it at the start, but yes, that would have attracted me. Anyway, so it deals with pregnancy and general well-being of female reproductive organs, actually, for you and I. It's a very funny book, also incredibly worrying, as it talks about the NHS, and ultimately very sad. The one thing that comes out is his total withering contempt for, one, NHS management, and two, the IT and technology deployed in the NHS. One of his quotes aptly describes some of the IT systems. The computer denies knowledge of almost every patient. I'd be better off with tarot cards. (laughs) 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 Ultimately, it's a very sad it's a very sad window into the damning into indictment the, mm. into the NHS and the, what is what is ultimately a, a brutal conditions for NHS staff that they work in. Yes, remember the multi-billion-pound NHS spine project. That, that oh yeah, project yeah. That, that Let's found? not get into yeah, that. 
that's another that's another podcast topic, isn't it? Probably. Next time you see an NHS staff, any NHS staff, give them a hug and a fiver and a fiver <laughs> and a sandwich or whatever. Although maybe not at the moment because you know COVID and they don't want to get it. But but even so, yes, give them a give them a distance high five or whatever. So my recommendation is Arcane. So Arcane is a series on Netflix which is based on a video game called League of Legends, which has been around for about ten years. Uh, come back, please, please don't run away. I know what that sounds like and that it's some god-awful nerdy thing that only I would watch. No, right? This, I'm telling you now, you need to watch this show. This show is absolutely fantastic. I cannot recommend it highly enough. You do not need to know anything about video games. You do not need to know anything about League of Legends, which is good because I don't because it's not a game that I play. It's just an absolutely brilliant bit of entertainment. Uh, it's an animated show that's made by a French animation studio written by people who are involved with with the game and you you need to know nothing about the game itself it's a story about two sisters uh, one of whom is played by a relatively famous actress called Haley steinfeld uh, who's currently starring in hawkeye on disney plus um, and has been in bumblebee and a bunch of other hollywood movies very very talented also a pop star and stuff gives a brilliant vocal performance in it but yeah it really really is excellent and it's about the dynamics between her and her younger sister and it's just it's just so good i couldn't believe how good it was i didn't watch it because it was a video game show i avoided it because it was a video game show based on a game i don't really like and then a couple of my friends said you must you must watch this it's great and it is and i'm now determined to try and get everybody that i know to watch it even if they're not games fans or anything else. Brilliant characters all the way through. Uh, every every single character, be they male, female, uh, be their character in the game or not, gets a fantastic amount of development. They're all brilliantly written, written. They all interweave beautifully. It looks incredible. The animation is just film quality. You know, it, it, it's just it's just brilliant. It's really good. Give it a go. If even if you're skeptical, do you like it? Yeah. Even <laughs> if you're even if you're skeptical and you think, oh no, video game stuff. I've never nerdy. heard you so gushy about something in my life. It's because it's better than most of the things I'm rec- I've recommended on the wow. show. Yeah. What platforms it available on? Ne- Netflix. Yeah. It's available on Netflix. Netflix. It's wow. it's nine episodes long. It wasn't. It isn't a Netflix show. It was produced by Riot, who are the developer of the game, mm, uh, right. because people said to them your cinematics are fantastic. You should make a, a movie. And they went, actually, we're going to make a series. And then Netflix just picked it up to distribute it. So it isn't a Netflix yeah. show. Which they it's do an ind- often, actually. It's an independently produced show. And Riot used the people who do their cinematics, the animation studio who do them for them, to then make the series. But the, it's just the quality of the writing, the quality of the characters, everything. It's It really is terrific. So Arcane, show on, on Netflix, based on League of Legends. Okay. Give it cool. a shot. It really is good. So I guess that's the show, guys. Thanks very much. So it just remains for us to say, have an amazing Christmas to everybody who's out there. I mean, you've already had it by the time we publish this, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much to Will and Jatinda for being here today and talking through quite an interesting topic, I think, this week or this month. And yeah, if you want to get in touch with the show, you're more than welcome to do so. We'd love to hear from you. We're available on ddkpod at ddklimited.com. That's ddkpod at ddklimited.com. We are also available on Twitter, where we are ddklimited, uh, with limited spelled out in full. And if you want to get us on LinkedIn, we're Dalton Day Candola. So thanks, guys. It's been a blast. And Merry Christmas, everybody. Catch you in the next one. Thank Happy you. Christmas. Merry Christmas. So just to be clear, did you like Arcane? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I can't, it, it is good. It really is that good. I can sense it. Definitely going to be watching it. It's such high praise.
Yeah, even I'm going to binge watch it. I hope I'm not disappointed because I'll rejudge your whole character, basically. <laughs> it's one of the only shows alongside Breaking Bad and some seasons of Game of Thrones and The Sopranos and a couple of others that's got a 100% critic review score on Rotten Tomatoes mm. and mm. over 95% user score. Well, so oh, wow. like it, it is... It really is. It's the next best thing. Yeah, it's been top in in 50-plus countries. Where did it come from? I've n- I literally never heard well, of it. Well, nor had I, nor had anybody, really. Has it been around for a while? It's been it's been announced for a long time, but it was really only fans of the game, which I'm not, that knew about so it. It's just and then sort of game It came out, it? and through pure word of mouth, it's just blown up into this absolutely massive thing awesome tastic but yeah no it is it is great and and i mean the first episode all the characters are a bit younger so get past the first episode before you judge it really but yeah it just gets better and better as it goes on 